There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Thomas, the holidays are over already. But were we ever away, Willie? <laughs> well, we were certainly away. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, there was quite a bit of wine involved, so you might not have remembered. Well, I think I saw you seven or eight times. <laughs> but And I think we agreed a lot of things, but dear knows what they were. So quite a lot's been going on. Uh, during the break yeah, uh, plenty to talk about well you've certainly been in the headlines and I've certainly been in the headlines so it's great what they do is leave the country everybody talks about you <laughs> everybody talks about us behind our backs Willie that's what it is right. so tell me obviously your reports went down re really really well me and you have been talking about Ireland for a couple of years in the programme yes and I want to say most people think your report was really really good well um so, so why do these reports, Willie? You know, I mean, I, I do ask myself that sometimes. There's a piece by Andy McIver that said, not only will, we, will Scotland not take it on, they might mock you, Sir Tom. So anyway, I thought Andy's piece was, was a good laugh. But it is a serious thing. We've got across the water, which you and I know really well. So I wanted the academic piece, which we went to Oxford Economics with, but I also spoke to the business people who were around at that time, Willie, because, you know, I wanted to get a flavour, not just an academic piece. I wanted to see how this Celtic Tiger economy came about. Let's just give you a couple of numbers to, to tell you, tell the listeners why we're interested in it. Over the next three years, the Irish government is forecasting a surplus of 65 billion <laughs> euros. Mm -hmm. And the Scottish government is looking at a deficit of about nine billion a year. So it's quite a difference. Stark. They're a smaller country than us, Willie, as we know. And there's all sorts of reasons. So what the business people said before we get to the academic, they said, OK, remember, Tom, Ireland came from a much worse position 40 years ago. You know, it was an agricultural economy, it was high unemployment, low wage, etc. But the government, run by a hockey, Charlie Hockey, any, any relation, Willie? Yes, really? distant, absolutely distant, wow. yes, yes. Unbelievable, I didn't know that. He, he said, I want to do the best for my country, Let's get the top business brains in here and see if we can plot a strategy for the long term. And that's what they did. They basically, there was a trust between business and politicians, which I don't think we've had in Scotland for some time. Maybe it's changing. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But there was a trust and the first minister of Ireland, which is called the... Taoiseach. He called in the business people and said, you care about your country, I care about our country, what can we do? Sound familiar? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and, and they set it out, Willie. They said, where are the growth industries of the future and how can Ireland make itself attractive to bring in jobs, but, but sticky jobs, mm -hmm. you know, 
my wife was involved with Silicon Glen, but they were screwdriver jobs, yep. which when these big companies could get for a pound an hour cheaper, they left Scotland and Silicon Glen left us. The Irish have been clever, and the Irish are clever. They tied in their education system. They made the STEM subjects a real focus for their universities, tied it in to, to creating a motivated and skilled workforce long-term, long-term. So all of these things came together. The Irish Development Agency became a laser focus for helping Ireland attract these companies. If I was a big American company, you were the IDA, I had a one point of contact, they still do, and you sorted out all my problems for me. You didn't make me run about multiple agencies. You're my man and you sorted it. They welcomed these companies. And as it stands today, they've got nine out of the top 10 pharma companies in the world in Southern Ireland and 14 out of the top 15 med tech companies. Now, some critics may say, well, they're, all they're doing is um, taking their profits from elsewhere in the world and putting them through Ireland, because Ireland had, they actually started with zero corporation tax, really. And how they did this while part of the European Union is a masterstroke. Yeah. We can maybe get into that in a different programme, but there were some interesting thoughts. It's now sitting about 12%. It's going to move to 15%. And of, of course, some of that is true. There was greenwashing, putting their profits through. But that's that's to miss the point. That's to miss the point. The quality of the jobs they have created, the surplus of their economy, their education system, everything came together and they've got a 65 billion euro surplus. What's not to like and what's not to take the good parts from Scotland to do it? So what do you think, Willie? Well, we've discussed the Irish story for many years. And when I was chairman of Scottish Enterprise Glasgow, I remember once that when we got um, a lecture from Jack Perry and John Ward about the tiger economy in Ireland, and it didn't go down well when I stood up and said, well, why don't we do what they've done in Ireland? And I was like, well, what was that? I said, what they did was the, the equivalent of Scottish Enterprise were spending 300 million euros a year, and they decided to cancel it for two years and they took the 600 million they put it in infrastructure just because the roads were terrible right. right so that's what they've done in the things but i think there's an interesting backstory to this because if you go back when when charlie hockey made these decisions way back in the day i don't know if you remember this but it was an uproar right he was going with his car because they had to cut back what happened was the civil service was getting better than the bigger than the private sector the country was bust when Charlie Hawking made these decisions, the first thing started off with a, with a tightening of bells. His car was getting hit with rocks. Right? People were going, he was going to hospitals and people were coming out and but he's telling you this is what we need to do, it's what we need to do to survive. But what he did more than anything, he had an inner circle of business guys yes. that were giving him advice. And people think outside and oh, that'll be just business guys looking after themselves. The advice from these business guys, who I'm sure done well, yes, but the advice has put the country where it is today, yeah, right. And you're right, and the point that you make about we don't know how Ireland got away with it, right? Charlie Hockey brought in the, the then equivalent to the head of Scottish Enterprise and said, "I am tasking you with bringing 
every big company in the world here and you come and tell me what I need to do and I'm doing it. Yeah. And they come in and says, tax is a big thing. The so what they've they done two things. The biggest thing they've done was, I don't care what the rules are. We've been part of the EU. Yep. Right, I'm telling the EU, if we don't do this, we are skint. Yep. Right, we're going bust. We're going to end up like Greece did 25 years later. So they got away with it. Nobody was jumping up and down. Right, so what they did was that was number one. So they put tax down to zero. Right, and then what they did, the point that you made, which was really, really important, they were clever enough to connect everything. What do we need to do with our education system to create the jobs, the skills that we need to fill these posts, right? And the point that you made, right, see to maintain having 14 of the largest pharma companies in the world, that is astonishing. Astonishing. Because that is so easy to move to territories where labour costs you a pound an hour. So whatever they do, the quality of life with the, with the, with the, with the senior management team, that has been a big, big plus. But the learning here, the... the similarities between Ireland putting itself on the map and Manchester putting itself on the map are unbelievable, uncanny, right? So it was interesting that Andy Burnham was up this week. I believe he, he, he met with the First Minister. He also met with Anasawa. Right. And what I liked about Andy was is that when they talked to him about how Manchester was booming, Andy was very quick to say, it's great, but I am not the reason that in Manchester's booming, it goes back to, it goes back longer than 10 years when when um, Stringer and Bernstein, business and politics got together right. to find out what the answer was for Manchester. Yeah. And that's we've been saying it for ages here. This the answer lies, Scotland's answer lies in that collaboration. Not fighting with business every single day, but embracing business and for everybody you not know, to think, what's in it for me? Most of the things you do. You know, you're, you're partly building a few houses in, in Edinburgh. You're, no, you're, no, you're trying to get him ideas that's going to put the country on its feet. And yeah. I think it's funny that you use the phrase greenwashing. I think we're in a unique position today, Scotland, right? And we'll talk about it a wee bit more, where I think that we could use the whole green climate thing as a great, I'm going to use the word excuse, right? But the rationale behind how we could kickstart Scotland's economy again and get to what Ireland was. I think we are uniquely placed. And I don't think there can be another country in the world where you take all the negatives of a country and you actually turn them into positives with the wind that we get, right, with its tidal, everything that we can do to create energy. So what I'm saying, and I said this this week, my advice, hopefully, when Keir Starmer's running the country, be bold, think big, big policies. And if you want to keep the union together, instead of just levelling up, throwing a few quid out to the extremities of the four compass points of the UK, why not give Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales green status where they can use all the things we've just talked about to their advantage and make it as tax advantageous for people who want to invest money in Scotland? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the... That that was what Oxford Economics then said. They said, you're a small country, focus. So choose three areas, green being one of them, AI, digital economy being, being another, and actually specialise and become the best in the world at it. Because Ireland did that, you know, they got the apples 
and the Googles, etc. So what I'm saying is let's sit down and map out the next 20, 30, 40 years. Let's get the next Apple, Google, Meta. And why not headquarter them here in Scotland? Why not, Willie? That's what I'm saying. In 2002, I was fortunate enough to be at the event that you paid for in the Kelvin Hall when the <laughs> European Cup final was here. Right. And I'll never forget your words at the end when you were trying to rally the troops. You said to about 800 people in the audience, it's time for enlightenment too. Right, yep. and it is. We, were, we, we showed the world back then, the Scots that invented the world, Arthur Herman's words, no mine, yes. right? And then we were, at the, we were absolutely at the forefront, right, of the Industrial Revolution. Scotland could be at the forefront of the new Green Revolution. So it needs business and politicians to trust each other, which takes me to the Fraser of Allender report just come out this week, Willie, which they were asking, you know, this reset of business and the government, how many business people thought that the government understood their needs? And I'm afraid, the Fraser of Allender said, it was only 9% of companies thought that the Scottish government understood. Now, we both know it's came from a very low ebb. You know, our previous First Minister did just didn't engage to the detriment of Scotland. Let's put it out yeah. there. That's exactly what it is. I went along with my team to meet the new First Minister. So first of all, I got invited. I'd never got invited by Nicola. So at least, okay. And he got the head of the civil service and his ministers in there. And he said, Tom, what's your ideas? So that was the first time for a while. So is it a reset? Yes, it is. Um, I think the older I get, the more I judge people with what they do and not what they say. But I think we've got to give them a chance. They at least asked, Willie. But this report is damning. Um, if I'd got that report, I would just say to my team, right, well, it can't get any worse. <laughs> the only way is up. What do you think? I think Scotland is in the state it's in because of the lack of dialogue between the government and business over the last 15 years. Yep. 100%. And that, that report... Uh, from the Allender Institute tells you that, yep. right? And and I think it's encouraging that you've been through your meeting this week and people, what, you're not ask, asking them to endorse everything you're saying. You're no. saying, here's my ideas, right? And and I hope that, you know, when a Labour government hopefully run in the UK, that, that Keir Starmer will be really open to listen to what business and what the people needs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, to be fair, Anna Sauer has reached out yeah. through the good offices of yourself mm -hmm. and said, can I hear about it as well? So, of, of course, I'm not politically aligned. Um, I just want what's best for Scotland. And um, But I'm an optimist, Willie. So I think the past 15 years, we can't do anything about it. All we can do is something about the next 15 years. So let's reset. Let's take the lessons from Ireland and let Scotland lead the world once again. Let Scotland flourish. That's it. So, so, Willie, it's not just uh, me that's been in the papers. I was sitting in my balcony with my pina colada reading in the Herald about yourself and Patrick Harvey having a wee disagreement. I mean, oh, goodness, I must say, I didn't like the way Patrick Harvey dealt with it. Um, the thing about you, Willie, is that on heat pumps, you actually sell them. And you said for a lot of Scottish housing, it's not going to be the answer. You're an engineer, you've been doing this for 40 years 
And um, I know who I'm listening to. So what do you think about the nub of this? Well, first point I'd like to make is that forget about getting into a discussion about whether they work or not. The most disingenuous thing that Patrick Harvey is doing is telling people that a heat pump is a carbon zero heat source. It is not. It's not. Absolutely not. Right. That is not true. Uh-huh. It runs in electricity, so it's not. And the second thing he's saying is, is that it will guarantee to reduce people's bills. It will not, right? It right. may be slightly less, it may be more, whatever, depending on the situation. But these people who are selling heat pumps and they're telling people that their bills will be a third or whatever it may be, I would say everyone that's buying a heat pump and who are told that and they buy it for that reason, ask for that from the person you buy from in writing. Yep. And tell them if your electricity bill is not, are they willing to make up the shortfall? Absolutely. Right, because it is not the case. So my big gripe with Patrick Harvey is the point that he is stating to people that these are cut. They are not. If you had an electric heat, all a heat pump is is an electric heater. I see. So if you bought an electric heating system for your hot water, it, which is a quarter of the cost, it's the exact same thing. Right. right. Okay. But where Patrick Harvey is missing a trick is the Scottish Power and SSE are now telling us that all the utility that is that supplies into the houses in Scotland is now coming from renewables. Then that is absolutely fantastic. That's what you should be raving about. There's no need then to fight a heat pump or anything else because no matter how much energy you use, it's all coming from renewables. So you're doing nothing to the ozone layer. So well done to you. Right. So this is my argument, Patrick Harvey. But where it gets worse, Tom, what he's trying to do now, right, is absolutely diabolical. To tell people now that he's going to threaten in his next policy that if you're fitting a solar panel and you're not fitting a heat pump, then you will not get the grant for the solar panel. Is that what's right, coming? Right. This is criminal. So what he's really telling us here is, it's actually the solar panel. With the guy on the show, Tom, remember the guy that came to educate yeah, me, uh-huh. that told me, oh, no, it's not the heat pump that, that is, makes it carbon neutral. It's actually the solar panel. Uh-huh. So what we then said was, okay, so it's £30,000 you need to spend now. Uh-huh. So in Patrick Harvey's latest policies try to put through is is that you're now needing a solar panel, you're now needing a battery backup, and you're needing a heat pump. That will cost you the bones of £30,000. And I'm telling you, an electric boiler does the same. By all means, but the, but the one thing that I want to have a real go at Patrick Harvey about is, he accused me on national television and in the national press of being a developer that just, want to, that just wants to fit cheap Kit. Oh, my right. goodness. So nothing could be further for the truth. I know that. Right. So Glasgow has a standard for houses. It's called the gold standard. And in insulation alone, they recommend that you fit 130 mil. Right. Uh-huh. I'm fitting 300. I'm fitting, I'm fitting double glazing in every single house. I'm fitting solar panels. I'm doing more, right, for the climate than Patrick Harvey could ever dream about. But Patrick Harvey isn't someone who wants to get involved in a conversation with you. I once spoke to Patrick a few months ago and he said one thing to me, they fit them in Finland and they work and that's it. Right, and that was the end of the scientific conversation. So what I'm doing is I'm reaching out to Patrick Harvey 
to actually come and see what I'm doing. Yep. And I'll give him the chance to take back what he said about, I'm probably spending about 40% more than I have to in the houses that I'm building at the moment to make them greener than Patrick Harvey could ever dream of. Well, I think it's a case of politicians and businesses coming together, having mutual respect, first of all, and then having mutual trust. So we're calling out Patrick Harvey today. Come and see what Willie's doing and you may, you may take back that scandalous statement. Let's see what happens, Willie. Let's see. He's more than welcome. The Glasgow Chamber of Commerce update with Chief Executive Stuart Patrick. Tom, I've got an old pal back in the studio this morning. Stuart Patrick, Head of the Chamber of Commerce. Stuart, great to have you back. Thanks very much, Willie. Great to be back. Good to see you again, Tom. Stuart, I always love your good news. You're always upbeat and optimistic. So tell us the good news, Stuart. Well, let me have a go. Um... <laughs> Let's say to start off with, though, that uh, Glasgow's been taking a fair amount of criticism over the past three months. Some, but not all of which is understandable. Our city centre is obviously not at its best, with Soggy Hall Street being under the most scrutiny for the parade of empty shop units and the long derelict sites following two major fires. So there's a lot riding on the recently published report on the so-called Golden Z of Soggy Hall, Buchanan and Argyle Streets, suggested by the city centre Task Force, which I co-chair, commissioned by Glasgow City Council and funded by the Scottish Government, the 400-page report sets out in diligent detail the challenges involved in bringing the wilting sections of the Golden Z back to life. There are some very welcome recommendations, including the relaxation of planning rules to allow a variety of new uses for those empty properties, the active targeting of a handful of the most strategic derelict sites, and the proposal for a culture-led district centred on Soggy Hall Street, which would encourage a greater role in city centre life for institutions like the Glasgow School of Art, the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, Glasgow Film Theatre, and of course the newly acquired Pavilion Theatre. But perhaps the biggest message is the call for proactive intervention led by the City Council. It's over 20 years since the last major city centre initiative was launched by Scottish Enterprise as the International Financial Services District, and which has steadily attracted thousands of new jobs into the Brumelau and across the river into Tradeston that a similar transformation of the Golden Z will not happen quickly through private sector investment alone means that the City Council is asked to lead the response. There's a substantial pipeline of private investment on its way, such as at Buchanan Galleries and at the St Enoch Centre, but these are very large and complex projects that will take some years to deliver. The range and variety of more immediate actions that the report asks of the City Council implies that some form of dedicated city centre development team is needed. Equally important to a successful Golden Z is an effective transport system. The recent largely successful effort to save the city's late-night bus service has raised the profile of the vulnerability of Glasgow's nighttime economy and of the fragmented governance of our regional transport system. The management of trains, buses, taxi provision and the subway all sit in different hands. And there's a growing view that our nighttime transport service is not as healthy as we need it to be. The City Centre Task Force has been asked to look more closely at how our nighttime economy is changing and how well our transport system is serving it. 
More positively, it's been a busy summer for Glasgow with the effective delivery of the very first UCI Cycling World Championships, which brought over 190,000 spectators out onto the city streets. The first Banksy exhibition in 14 years, bringing 180,000 visitors to the Gallery of Modern Art and the refurbished Burl Collection, welcoming over 600,000 visitors in its first year of operation Fantastic. and winning Art Fund Museum of the Year at a ceremony at the British Museum. Glasgow was also awarded an investment zone in a joint announcement by the Scottish and UK governments, which will bring £80 million into the city region over a five-year period. That money, coming in a combination of direct grant expenditure and tax incentives, will be used to add further momentum to the growing innovation economy that has already seen £33 million invested by the UK government's Innovation Accelerator Partnership in 11 research and commercialisation projects. Just one of those projects, the Glasgow University digital chemistry spin-out Chemify, then revealed it had so far attracted £33 million from various international investors. On Monday, the Scottish Government announced that its national project to regenerate the derelict banks of the River Clyde would be transferred along with £26.5 million of funding to the Glasgow City region. There's a growing belief that there should be greater powers and resources for metropolitan city regions. It's over eight years since Glasgow was awarded £1.3 billion in Scotland's first UK and Scottish Government city deal. The latest decision on the Clyde mission and the recent proposals to the Scottish Government from James Withers on developing a regional skills system are perhaps adding to the momentum. For this to work, though, I would draw on lessons learned from the success of the Clyde Gateway Urban Regeneration Company in Glasgow's East End. The grand plans are important and welcome, but they will only be implemented if they are led on the ground by dedicated, well-resourced and experienced teams. Brilliant. Wow, there's a lot going on. Right. I've got to say, I need to start with a wee chuckle. Was it not ironic that during the cycling that one of the Italian riders who was a favourite get knocked down off his bike with an Uber Eat driver who, <laughs> wait for it, was delivering a pizza? Oh, <laughs> true, Tom, true, true. true. <laughs> one of the favourites broke his shoulder. Oh, dear. <laughs> right? So he get knocked down with an Uber Eats guy. That's well, true. Well, at least he wasn't on the pavement. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> but no, I think um, it's interesting because something has to be done about the town. Positive, to be fair, in the last week, sure since I came back for holiday, I was in the Citizens restaurant in St Vincent. It was very busy. It was great for lunch and it was, and it was lovely. And then I was at the Banksy exhibition on Saturday night. Then I went to the Ivy. Then I was in Kong. And the town looked as if it was getting back a wee bit better. It was really, really busy. Good. All the places were full. So, which is great, so it was a great sign. But I think it's ironic that that is now referred to as the Golden Z because everyone's been asleep. <laughs> right. Yeah. Something has to be done, especially in Sucky Hill Street. That's absolutely clear. <clears throat> There's certainly no disagreement now am amongst all the various players that Sucky Hill Street in particular has gone over the edge. It's not a retail street anymore. It's going to be something new. We can't let you off light, Stuart. We need to talk about the elephant in the room. Okay, you, Les. I mean, people seem to be up in arms. It does seem to be, you know, affecting the, 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 you know, the people who are poorest. What, what are we going to do about it? I see it's been challenged. You know, it must obviously be having an impact on the town for trade, for people. What, what is your members telling you? Well, we're certainly getting feedback, particularly from hospitality businesses, that they, they feel it's having an impact on, 
on their business. We will watch now how the judicial review plays out over the autumn. Um, and clearly, if there have been uh, failures in the process of introducing the LEZ, then that needs to be reflected in the in the response from City Council and Scottish Government. Uh, we did not oppose the LEZ in, yeah. its, uh, in its introduction because we uh, accepted that there were problems with air quality yep. that were breaching legal limits. Yeah. I see that one of the arguments is that the legal limits had already been secured by the introduction of the LEZ for buses. Yes. And it was certainly clear the buses uh, were yeah. significantly invested in yeah. um, make them electric or to make them the more modern but, but, diesel. But this is a really good point because, you know, the you know the, the Green Lobby would show, you know, we want to get everybody into public transport, right? It was public transport that was creating the biggest problem in the worst street, which was the Hope Street. But as you say, time, you know, electric buses now, uh, so it's not the same. I think when you're walking up Hope Street now, it's a lot better than it used to be. You're not walking through the smog. But I think that things have moved on now. But it's really interesting the uh, the conversation now about the, the you know the try to get metropolitan status. What about a really good idea about maybe calling the Clyde Valley Strathclyde? <laughs> 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 that takes me back a little bit, really, I will not deny So are we, are we regurging here? Is this what's going on? I, I think there's certainly an issue here about some aspects of how you run a city that yeah. are not in the right hands. The transport system is undoubtedly a challenge because it is so fragmented. We do need something better to deliver things like Clyde uh, Metro, the, the Glasgow Bus Partnership. They're all going far too slow. But I have one problem with that. When you've got a group of people running the largest part of that metropolitan region and according to the people who live in that region, no doing a very good job. Do you want to put them in charge of something bigger? Well, I would say that um, I think the bigger the task, um, the more likely it is that you're going to rise to that task. I oh, think, sure. I think, I, well, that's always the experience <laughs> oh, I've I love had it. I love when it. When you're I asking your team to respond to an issue. So you can't do that small task, but here's the big one. Oh, no chance of you getting promotion in my place, sure, I'll tell you that. In fact, I'm going to get you off of that interview list. Coming next, Hunston Hockey chat to Jawad Karshid, CEO of Hydrogen Vehicle Systems Limited. The Go Radio Business Show with work. Flow Solutions, part of the Scottish procurement framework for managed print solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work-from-anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Jawad Kursheed, CEO of Hydrogen Vehicles Systems Limited. A successful entrepreneur and executive professional with over 16 years of experience in the areas of management, strategy and business development. Wow. First week back, what a star performer we've got for our guest of the week. It's a cracker, Willie. Welcome to Jawad Kursheed, the CEO and owner of HVS, which is Hydrogen Vehicle Systems. Jawad, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, gents, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. We're really looking forward to it because this is right on topic, Willie. Absolutely. So, um, well done in coming in this morning. We can't wait to hear it. Over to you, Willie. Yeah, so obviously the green agenda is at you know, the heart of everything at the moment in, in, in government and in, in relation to policies, and you know, we've talked a bit about it. So it's great that you're on the show this morning. Tell us a wee bit about your story, your start, and how you get into hydrogen trucks. How far do you want me to go back? Go back to a five-year-old boy? Or... Yeah, just, <laughs> don't just... go back to your idea in your dad's mind, right? Anywhere <laughs> after that. I think it's important, Javid, that the listeners love to know where people's background was. Yeah. You know, you're just... Just give us the kind of potted history. came from extreme poverty in the sense mum and dad came over from Pakistan, etc. And mum wanted to keep me off the streets in the sense mum and dad were separated. They got back together for me when I was eight. Mum wanted to keep me off the streets. So what she did is she said, my son needs to burn energy, but it needs to be in a controlled environment. So she put me into martial arts, swimming, etc. And, and God love my mum in the sense that we didn't have a car. She used to walk me every single night to karate, to Very. swimming, to mosque, whatever it may be. And then she was pregnant with my sister eight, nine months. At that point, I was like, mum, nothing wrong with you. Walk me out and now being a father myself, I know how difficult it is. So where were you so, living then? Govan Hill, literally. Govan you Hill. could throw a stone from here and hit, yep. the, hit the building. Yeah. Um, a lot of good things to come out of Govan Hill, Willie, yes. <laughs> yeah, so from a young age, I was a really, really passionate guy, but more so extremely competitive to the state now that I still don't let my four-year-old beat me at Ludo. I'll cheat and stuff. <laughs> right, right. right. But, <laughs> but we won't say that loudly. <laughs> but a really competitive guy, so right. absolutely love sport. And I think that was um, instilled into me, into my business sort of acumen as well. Um, my father eventually bought a takeaway, and that was what funded all everything that I did and wow. I had to give my dad hats off six days a week working 12 hours every single day worked really really hard so everything I've got is without a shadow of a doubt is the prayers of my parents and yeah. the passion and the dedication they put into yeah. me nice nice um, yeah. Thereafter that, once I got into university, I worked. I graduated and worked for a lovely lady named Sabrina Ali at Specialised Opticians, again in Govan Hill. Uh -huh. And I owe a lot to that young lady as well who gave me all business skills that I could imagine of at that time. Yes, it was a one practice surgery, but she gave me autonomy to do what I wanted in that place. She gave me the skills of what to do right and more importantly, what not to do. And we were able to grow that to one practice to three practices relatively soon. As a 18, 19 year old boy, I learned a lot about business. And then unfortunately, um, I had to move on, but I owe a lot to Sabine Ali in that sense. And then I went and opened up the first one-stop healthcare clinic in the UK um, at the University of Edinburgh with two business partners. Um, we opened up a dental clinic and an optical clinic uh -huh. in the one-stop. And the ideology for that was, look, you're coming in and you've got the same receptionist, the same building. They come in, we push them. If they come in for a dental examination, you give them a dental examination. But as they come out, you then say, oh, what about your eye test? And push them in for an eye test as well. So it's the same customer spending twice, but they think they're spending what they're spending. So upselling. Upselling, literally. So you were doubling your profits overnight. And through that, we were able to start growing the business and we went from, from there we went into dentists opticians pharmacies GP surgery audiology clinics and then I'm cutting a very long story short we had a lot of failures in there um, I opened up a practice in Dumblane um, right opposite Andy Murray's uh, family's opticians uh -huh. and unfortunately if there was ever a business how not to do it that was the example right. uh, don't take on your locals yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I learned I was right opposite the golden post box and Andy Murray's family lovely lovely people but I was what, what I meant is I was so far from the business I wasn't running it I wasn't there enough I wasn't invested in the staff 
Um, I learned from Richard Branson's words, a happy workforce is a productive workforce. I think that was one of those examples where I didn't make the workforce as happy as it should be because right. I just wasn't available. I was too busy on growth and not focusing on... I mean, it's a very it's a very good point to pause for, for a second. First of all, you're recognising it. So I think all entrepreneurs have got to be honest with themselves. I mean, if we're kidding MD, we mustn't kid ourselves. We must be brutally honest with and say, well, I didn't do that as well as I should have. So I love to hear that honesty this morning. Another thing is, for the success you've went on to, these failures were just helping you along the way. Yeah. And you learned from them. You didn't get down about them. So, right, okay, I mucked that up. I got to do better. I won't make that mistake again. So yeah. I think really good learnings for our listeners this morning. A lot. Um, I think one of the best things to do is for me is have mentors. That's the best thing. And Sabrina Ali was a real mentor. And I think I messed that one up more than anything else. But you learn a lot from that as well. A smart person learns from his own mistakes and an even smarter person learns from other people's mistakes. <laughs> so I'm trying to be an even smarter person learn from both of you, gents. <laughs> We've had plenty of mistakes and we're still making them. <laughs> so, I'm sure I've had way more in the few years that I've had, so <laughs> I'm trying to stop that now. Um, but So that was where we got into the sort of business, but the real uh, story for today was the H HVS um, that we're speaking of. So what we did in 2018 is um, the company had just started and they, di they didn't really know what was going on. So they asked us to invest and help them in that process. So, so, so who is us, Jam? Um, myself and my two business partners, two right. of them, the two dentists, one from Mortiz Siddiqui based in uh, London and Adel Loan based in Nottingham. Right. Um, so they said, look, Javad, it's close to your home. Why don't you have a look at it? So they're completely silent. When I mean completely silent, it's like me in the medical field right now. I have no clue in the sense of how that's running. Yes, we have our board meetings, et cetera, which is different, but the operational side's all of them. So they asked me to get involved in this. So... These gentlemen, they had an idea. They thought, you know, well, what can we do with it? And I thought, <laughs> you need business acumen. Engineers are the greatest people under the sun. They'll design the most perfect thing under the sun, but they forget the business part of it. Like this glass, they'll design it and it'll cost you 60 quid to build it. Who's <laughs> going to buy a 60 quid glass? You need to build that for 60 pence and sell it for a pound. Um, you need to so... remember you're talking to an engineer here. <laughs> <laughs> the smartest guys I've met, though, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, um, Talk about no... learning from your mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, but when I went into that, um, what happened after this, I got involved and helped sort of develop that business. So through my business connections, KPMG, DLA Piper, etc., all made some of their biggest investments ever into a startup. And they were raising 40 million for the company at the time. 40 million? Yeah. And wow. they were doing really well for, for both those companies. Unfortunately, just as they went out to market, Brexit hit. So the five interested parties all said, you know what, 12 months later, we don't really, uh, we'll come back to you in 12 months. Let's see how things pan out in this. So KPMG said, let's restructure and uh, we'll ask for 7 million. And that was in 2020, uh, February. And as you can appreciate, the end of February 2020, COVID hit and the world completely goodness, collapsed. Yeah. And the previous owners at that point said, you know what, we're in 400k worth of debt. We're going to liquidate this company. And I was of the opinion, look, we've invested a little bit, but there's a lot of people we brought on, £800,000 worth of investment. You don't give up on them. But those owners at that point thought, you know what, we want to protect our name. We're going to liquidate the company, et cetera, et cetera. And I got in a bit of an argument with them saying, you can't do that. And I said, until HMRC comes and pulls your shutters down, you keep on plodding through. 
but they weren't having it. So the night before liquidation, so Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., letters were going out to all investors, creditors, etc. that were liquidating. The night before, we came to an agreement that I would buy the company for a pound. Right. But I had to give them a personal guarantee for the £411,000 of debt that was on that company. So technically, I bought it for £411,000. Right. And... <clears throat> through a bit of fact, yeah, call it that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what I what, um, what I did then is wrote to every single um, creditor and said to them, "Look, here's the liquidation letters that were coming out to you last week. Once I took over, um, etc. Um, here were the liquidation letters that were coming out to you last week. I'm trying to save this company as long as every person that's invested." time or money gets their money back and I make zero pence I will sleep a happy man but I can only do that if I raise more finance and I'm not going to be able to raise finance if I've got 411k worth of debt so I wrote that to all creditors and every single one of them said you know what we fully understand and we'll write off your debt minus HMRC who came and took their full 80 grand so when we right. paid okay. we paid that we were at even 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 games and but what I said to everyone is if and when I raise the finance and build this company I'll come back to you and give you that business and you can charge me a premium to try and catch this up well done. and wow. we were very fortunate in that sense That's great. So, I didn't owe anyone any money, but I didn't have any money within the business. <laughs> and that's when we went on to the rampage. And I'm very fortunate to say that I had to then beg a lot of my founders to come back. So I have seven founders who are the real heroes of HBS. I pretend to be, I would like to say the pretty face, but as for radio, I can say that. <laughs> Otherwise, everyone would disagree. And you can get away with it. <laughs> but those seven You'll founders... You'll be okay until people see the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the seven founders are the real heroes of HBS. So... Some of them were on 120-odd grand a year before they joined HVS. They came back and worked for me, and they said, we'll work a day a week for you, Javed, for about £500. Those guys worked eight days a week. I don't know where they found that extra day from. Some of them worked a full year um, without any payment whatsoever. So those are the real heroes of HVS. I'm just lucky to be um, working with them. But in that one year... What we did is we restructured the business. What was really important to do is do one thing and do it well. HV Systems is what the company was before. HVS is as I took it over, I rebranded it. We're focusing on one thing, which is commercial vehicles. We don't want to do the infrastructure. We don't want to build the fuel cell. We don't want to build X, Y, Z. That'll cost hundreds of millions. To me, there's two types of companies. There's ego-led companies and there's financial-led companies. Ego-led companies are those that want to raise hundreds of millions, if not billions, from day one and build their own factory, build their own fuel cell, build their own hack cell before they've even sold one product. And there's financial-led companies that are those that want to look at the quickest way possible with the minimum amount of cash burn to get into profitability. Yes, you might not have that golden star, as in you look what I've done, you might not have that, but you know what? You've got a sustainable business. Tell, tell the listeners a wee bit about the vehicle. Every part of our vehicle is ensured that it is the most optimised and most efficient hydrogen powertrain out there. And that's important because we're building a ground-up vehicle, very similar to what Tesla did. Why is Tesla one of the best battery electric vehicles out there? Because that vehicle was purpose-built to have a battery electric powertrain within it. What you don't want to do is retrofit a normal truck right now because that compromises on efficiency on packaging etc so yes there's a lot of pain points right now but if you challenge your team and push them and motivate them and move in the right direction together you can create things that have never been comprehended before and i'm very fortunate that this is all happening 
from Glasgow, literally uh, half a mile from your building. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So let me ask you, we're all on the green journey, yep. right? And we all know there's sacrifices to be made and things yep. cost a bit more. Yep. What, for the listeners, what does a three-ton electric truck cost against yep. a three-ton hydrogen? So we're on the heavy payload, which is the 40-ton, 26-ton right. plus. Okay. What, yes, the capex is more, so the upfront cost is more. But the most important part, we are dealing with fleet operators that look at total cost of ownership. Yeah. So the journey of seven years, what's it going to cost me? Life cycle costs. So by 2028, and this is third party, not our self-reports, that are doing a due diligence on us right now as we're raising. What, what they've come back and said that as early as 2028... And the absolute latest by 2030, it'd be just as efficient to run a hydrogen powertrain, hydrogen HGV versus a diesel HGV. Right. And by 2030 onwards, it'll be cheaper to run a hydrogen one because economies of scales will kick in. I was very fortunate enough to be sitting on a panel in Stuttgart in Germany about three months ago where the innovation director of Volvo globally, to think a guy that... Um, <laughs> used to struggle to buy a portion of chips in the week, was now sitting on the same panel with someone Even from... your old man had the <laughs> That was about four years after, but not when I was eight. My dad is phenomenal. Do you remember Caterpillar Boots? Uh-huh. They were 74 99 Yeah. My dad saved up three months to buy me them because I wanted a pair of Caterpillar Boots. Now my kids go out and spend more on dessert, so... Hopefully, my kids... <laughs> hopefully he bought them from Sports Division back in the day, John. <laughs> he did, he did. <laughs> did we get some royalty? Of course, of course. Brilliant, brilliant. So can I can I ask you here because I'm I'm tr desperately trying to educate myself on this, you know, as we move to net zero. Yep. And we all agree that's the journey we're on. Yep. And um I think Elon Musk has did an amazing job at grabbing the narrative and said that vehicles are electric. But I'm hearing more now coming into the debate yep. about hydrogen and yep. um, Lord Bamford, Anthony Bamford at JCB, who, who I think you're going to meet, um, yep. a good man and, you know, a very big entrepreneur in that yep. space. So hydrogen's beginning to come in and say, well, it's, it's electric's part of the jigsaw, but it's not the whole jigsaw. Correct. So can you, decarbonisation. Yeah, we have to decarbonise, and with regards to transport, what I would say is, is different segments will be that will be decarbonised in different ways. The lower payload passenger vehicles, yes, battery electric will answer that. Is that for the example being, if you want to charge your car, you can do it at your house. If you right. want to fuel your car, say it with diesel, you want to do it in your locality. You don't want to do it at the other side of Glasgow. You don't want to go to the West End. Yeah. So hydrogen has that sort of problem in the passenger electric car. But when you get to the heavy goods, heavy payloads, long range, battery electric can't cut it, it can't do it in whatever, right. uh, for any reason. And the reason for that is because hydrogen, you can fuel up your HGV within 10 to 15 minutes. Right. And that's the equivalent of a diesel. Versus if you've got battery electric, you're going to have to use seven, eight hours. So and there's a these, lot of downtime. Exactly. These HGVs having to run 24 hours, Asda, who are one of our, um, the owners are one of our investors, their trucks are running 24-7. Tesco's trucks are running 24-7. You can't have the truck down for eight, nine hours. No. Yes, you can say, I've got a fast charger, but the power that is required to charge one truck is equivalent to powering 200 homes. Wow. What is What would you rather do? Power 200 homes or power one truck? Yeah, right. And the batteries that are to go onto a HGV are so heavy that the payload so is then compromised the as well. Who, who is going to, you touched on it earlier, who's going to finance the infrastructure required for hydrogen? 
Well, ideally, we want the government to do that. Yeah. That's that's what that's your first answer. But unfortunately, as we all know, government doesn't move as fast as we want it to. No. And we're very fortunate in the sense that that one year that I was talking about, when we went out to market to raise finance, the first five million, we went out to 162 firms. 162 times, I heard. Wow. No, we don't understand hydrogen or no, your company's not ready. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that, 160, but I had to motivate my team. They were motivating me, to be honest, but I had to motivate them. Don't worry, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. We spoke to some of the biggest names globally. And at long last, we had the EG brothers, um, who, all, who own right. Asda Supermarket. Who own Asda? Yeah, who, uh, who own Asda, invested five million into us. And we were very, very fortunate enough to take that. With that five million, they then got an OEM to come and look at us to do further due diligence. And the OEM, OEMs, your sort of BMW, Volvo, Daimler, yep. Mercedes, etc. They came in and they looked at us and they said, "You know what you're saying you're going to do? You'll never be able to do it. Right? <laughs> what you said you're going to do in twelve months, impossible." They came back after eight months and they said to us, "How on earth have you just done this? We could not have done this within five years." How did you do it? And I put that down to the passion of my, nothing to do with me, but the passion of my team and how lean the organization is right. and how much work we did in that one year when we were getting no's. I didn't sit, I told my team, look, when we're pitching, that's fine, but you continue, push forward, push forward, push forward. Those 162, as I mentioned, you two gents, we tried to approach you two, but we could get to you. All oh, right, tell, tell us about that, because I, I don't quite remember this. <laughs> so in December 2018, you, um, Tom, interviewed Gareth uh, Williams from Skyscanner. I did. Um, and on that stage, I was in the third row looking at you thinking, right, when this interview finishes, I'm going to go up to Tom and say, look, can I speak to you? <laughs> but what Tom did is like a bullet, bang, off you went. Was that off? Was that? You were off. Ah, but right. I did get Gareth's email address. So I've emailed him a few times and right, he's okay. given some really good advice. And, and and how about Willie? Tell us the story with Willie. <laughs> so, Willie, so I heard, Tom, that you had someone you had invested in, a young boy named Keen, because he Keen. stood outside your car he's, waited in the rain, etc. He waited in the rain out... <laughs> Outside Tunnocks, really. He knew I was going to be in seeing Sir Boyd. No. And he waited the day. And he do, he door stop me or, or whatever it's You know, called. everybody now when they hear this is going to be saying... Sorry, door stop. <laughs> yeah. But don't worry, so... So what happened with Willie is um, I stood outside his building for about three days hoping, you know what, the guy's going to come in someday. I'm going to stop him at the car. I'm hoping no security will pull me up or something. But he never came for three days and I was desperate. So I thought, oh. you know what, I'll leave this at reception. And the reception literally said, oh, you can't leave this here. You'll get in trouble. We don't take any investments or information oh, from anyone else. Willie. So they punted me out. When was this? <laughs> um, roughly about 2020. Um, so during COVID. Oh, no, nobody was allowed to go to work during COVID. <laughs> And nobody was allowed to take anything in case it was... Uh, this, was this was just before COVID. Don't let him off the hook. I'm really sorry about that. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. But but it was obviously a week I was having off my work. <laughs> so how many trucks have you got on the road? If so, any. <laughs> no, no trucks are on the road just yet. So what we've done is done a world reveal of our HGV demonstrators. Right. And that was done um, in Birmingham yeah. about three months ago. And we've got global press on that as well and what happens now is we go through our cycle process where we stress test all those components right. and in the coming years just for we, I can't say the exact date right. um, in the coming years just reading between the line we'll be the first to bring a HGV truck to the UK market right. and we're not far away we're just stress testing the components so you have to crash it you have to roll it you have to turn it etc um, and then you get the vehicles homologated 
So obviously, you know, I, I deal with the Aisa brothers, obviously, you know, been dealing with Aza for yes. many years. And so with your deal with them, apart from having them as investors, um, are they really interested? Obviously, they've got a huge fleet of trucks. Yes. So uh, the Aisa brothers are some of the nicest people I've ever met. Right. Not as nice as you two, let me yeah. just highlight that, okay. right? So okay. they come second, let me say that. <laughs> but um, the reason they invest in us is it was the holistic approach because they've got infrastructure, they've got vehicles. Yeah. What they didn't have is um, they didn't have a vehicle manufacturer themselves. Yeah. So yes, we hope they will be taking those yeah. vehicles on. We can't guarantee it until the dotted line signed, mm -hmm. but they are very shrewd businessmen as well. They're the most nicest people you'd meet, but they're mm -hmm. shrewd businessmen, so you have to prove everything that you're doing as well. Yeah. And because we've only launched 12 weeks ago, um, when you're dealing with companies as big as these supermarkets or the other UPSs and other sort of companies, unfortunately I can't name a lot of them, but there is not a person on earth that wouldn't know these names. When you want to move a full stop anywhere in this document, it has to go up six layers and six layers back down. So it takes a lot of time right. um, to make any changes. So these documents, um, they're there and we're hoping we'll have a big... Uh, we have ridiculous amounts of uh, interest in the vehicle. We unfortunately are batting off a lot of people and saying not yet. We'd rather have three or four big customers as opposed to a hundred small customers. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're working on and right now. And what about the uh, Scottish Enterprise? involved help you Yes, we are very fortunate enough that Adrian Gillespie has um, been ever so helpful. Um, um, prior to that, we were really struggling to get Scottish Enterprise uh, involved, but Sean Donald and Charles Broadfoot have been really, really good. They got us in touch with Adrian. Adrian gave me his phone number, and I've been able to, any time I've needed yeah. to speak to him, oh, well, he's always Scottish been there. Yeah. That's yeah. good, yeah. They, They've supported us, if I'm being categorically honest. Yes, it was a long process to get there, but that one year when we didn't have any money, they were giving us the 5,000 or the 10,000 to do some sort of research and that's what kept us there. So all hats go off to, right. uh, yes, are there places that I can improve without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. but a lot of the success or HVS's success today is for companies like that who believed in us and gave us that opportunity to go. Right, so this is, this is obviously, you know, a topic that we've been covering where Scotland wants to be the forefront of the Green Revolution. Yes. So what we're going to promise you is the first, when you've sold your first 10 trucks, you get back in touch and we'll get you back on the show. <laughs> I might be back next week then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so see the hydrogen. Is, yep. can, can Scotland make the hydrogen? Scotland wants to be a leader in making hydrogen, and it should. So, so um, Scotland can lead the yes, world in, in, in hydrogen. And, 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 and so, so I'm sorry, hydrogen can also be a substitute now for gas. Yep. So it can be used for domestic right. heating. And is this blue or green hydrogen? We'd ideally be going for green. There is no point in creating hydrogen by creating emissions elsewhere right, across right. the supply so this chain. Is green yeah. hydrogen. Yeah. The, the economy of hydrogen by 2050 is going to be over 500 billion globally. Wow. And yeah. you're only, I was listening to you earlier on, and the only way you're going to do that is if we plan for the next 20 or 30 years. Yes. We need to start now yeah. in 10 years' time. But Scotland yeah. could. Scotland yeah. can could yeah. and should and lead should. the way. I it, agree. It, it's, a, it's a long time, Jared, since I've been involved in talking about hydrogen the way back, but back in the day when we were using it in refrigeration as a replacement for the Freons, is, is everyone over the combustion problem? The problem with hydrogen is very high pressure. Okay. Right? And it's, it can... It can blow at blue-bursting yep. distance systems. Yep. Have they managed to overcome that? Well... What you have to appreciate is what do we currently have. Currently we have a liquid that goes from the back of the car, under your legs, next to your knees, yep. small explosions are going off. <laughs> yeah. And then if you have a car crash, that fluid stays at the bottom, yeah. waiting to be ignited. Hydrogen is 
far more safer in the sense that it is in tanks that are so strong that if you were to fire a bullet at the exact same spot, carbon fibre tanks, it wouldn't penetrate it. Yeah. But say in the worst case scenario, it did. Say it did. Um, the vehicle itself has a release mechanism that the hydrogen would go right to the top of the vehicle. And because hydrogen is 14 times lighter than normal air, it goes straight up into the air. So there's nothing that can oh, explode. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. we've obviously got in our minds the hydrogen bomb, etc. So well, that's, yeah. that's I didn't want to mention that, but you did. <laughs> no, because that, that's the first thing is, that comes. It yeah. is funny, Willie, that how some things you think, oh, oh goodness, is that not combustible? But we're using petrol, yeah. <laughs> we're using diesel, uh, they're quite combustible. They're <laughs> yeah, yeah, but to be fair, we need to be honest, they are combustible to a level, hydrogen's at a whole new level when it combusts. For the safety of <laughs> in it. The, in how, the perfect how, conditions. Yeah. But you have to appreciate how much hydrogen's on board, yes. the safety mechanisms yes. that are within the vehicle yeah. itself yes. make yeah. it far safer. Yeah, no, to be fair, I haven't I heard many people using that as a negative now when they talk yeah. about it. So it's moved a long, long way from when we used to, you know, we so, used to use it. So what do you think, what's your three key critical success factors? What needs to happen in the next wee while for you to lead the world in hydrogen trucks? Because we want you to yeah. do it yeah. from Glasgow. <laughs> I think the most important part for me is mentors, without a shadow of a really? doubt. Mentors is the most important thing. Ask people that have been on that journey. I'm very fortunate enough to sit with two gentlemen like yourselves who I'd love to have conversations with and ask for advice. The second thing for me is consistency. You need to keep on going and beat that drum beat. Yes, everything might not be 100%, but you can't wait. So going on the life cycle of the vehicle, you can't wait for everything to be 100% before you make the next decision. If right. you do that, you'll never get to your destination. Take up to 70, 80%, keep moving forward and fix that remaining 20%. You don't release anything, but you keep moving forward, move to the drum beat, keep moving. Consistency wow. is key. And more than anything else that I've learned from my, um, my journey so far, is, as I said, your workforce, they have to be motivated and aligned in the vision and the ambition that you have. If you want to go fast, go yourself. But if you want to go far, go together. And right. I have got some of the best people. How many staff do you have? We're roughly about 150 people. Fantastic, wow. absolutely fantastic. And you've not got a product to market, that's amazing. That's but a lot of R&D. It's a lot of R&D, but to have some of the most powerful people yeah. in the automotive sector work for me. For example, you've heard of Aston Martin, I'm yep. presuming. Board members from there have worked he for has, me. He has, I haven't. They, they, they're big fancy cars. <laughs> well, well, I've seen the car you've got outside, Willie. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the private Reggie. <laughs> I, mean, I don't... I, just, I, just, I, just, I don't have a private... Well, it's no <laughs> <laughs> but listen, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, right? And, and we're going to watch with interest in how you're doing. And as I say... The minute that you've you've got your sales in there, then we'll be delighted to get you back on the show. Yep. Thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute honour. It's been a great lesson for our listeners this morning about perseverance. 162 no's. My goodness, that takes some perseverance to keep going. And we really need people like you to succeed in Scotland. And, you know, if Willie and I can help along the way, um, without any money, obviously. But um, I'm afraid you can't move my work for three days. <laughs> I'll go six days this time because you go on holiday. <laughs> but um, more power to your elbow. I've right. loved the story and I really look forward to hearing of, of your future successes. Brilliant. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper based processes into organised and digital workflows. Go there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. 
document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk